Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. If you would, turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Samuel, uh, 17th chapter, uh, down to verse 50. You know, you know, like Dr. Friedman said a little earlier, you know, you don't have to uh, go very far, turn on your TV set to see that uh, there's a lot of turmoil, there's a lot of chaos, there's a lot of things going on in the world today that could make someone anxious, could make someone fearful, could, could take a little hope from you. And I think now more than ever, uh, the world desperately needs to see the church. And I, I'm not talking about the building. I don't mean the amenities. I don't mean the programs we offer. They need to see the people of God reflecting Him in the world today. They need to see Dayspring Community Church participating in the life of Christ in our daily lives. The world needs it so desperately. Now I think it's time for the church to come out of the sleep and start engaging people with love and compassion. They need to see the realness in that. And so today I want to talk a little bit, a familiar story, but I think there's some things in the story that maybe sometimes we miss that might can help us because I truly believe the church is standing at the edge of a battlefield. And I think, I think, I think we need to prepare ourselves. So I want to read 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 50. And it says this, it says, So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Now, men, if, if, men, if you're like me, you know, when you have people in your life close to you, probably more importantly, uh, your wife, uh, you know there are times where she comes in the door and she has that mad resting face on. And you can tell she's probably been through it that day. Now, don't get yourself in trouble. Because some of you may be thinking she always has that face. But don't grin. Don't grin. You're going to find yourself sleeping on the couch tonight. Be careful. But you know what I mean. Like she comes in and every movement of her body, there's this deep, deep sigh that's coming out. And you realize in that moment, you are contractually bound to ask, what's wrong? What's happened? What's the matter? Now, what you're really asking in that moment, man, if you're like me, what you're really asking is, how much is this going to cost? That's, that's what you want to know, right? Is this fatal? Is it okay? Is everything okay? That's what you really need to know. And, and I think this is so true because, ladies, you know as well as I do that when you're asked that question and given a moment to speak, y'all like to give the director's cut. When, when, when you begin to tell about your day and all the things that have gone wrong, you start at the moment you got up or at breakfast. And, and, if, and if men, if you're like me, what I need to know, I need to know how the story ends. That way, I can follow all the details better. I don't get hung up on something that's not important, right? I need to know how the story ends. I need to know it's all going to be okay. Or, is, or is, hey, do we need to do something? We need to pack up and run. How much is this going to cost? And so it's easier. It's easier when we know how the story ends. We won't get hung up in the middle. It's different when you know how the story ends. You tell me how it ends. And you tell me not to worry. You tell me everything's going to be okay or what we need to do or how much it's going to cost. Then I can follow the twists and turns of the story a little better. It's easier when we know how the story ends. There's a lot of times in my, uh, dealing with the youth for years, I've kind of shared some stories of my life, you know, talked about them, talked to them about, you know, just a couple of years ago when I was in college. And see, I can say that honestly because I just graduated seminary not too long ago. See how, see how I did that. Some of y'all don't have that luxury. But I tell them all the time some stories about high school and college, and you know they usually end in some kind of laughter. We usually laugh about it. But 
the reason we can share a little laughter over it is because I know where the story ended up. See, I know where I ended up. I know how those stories end. That's the reason we can laugh about them. But I'm here to tell you, and I think you know this is true, a lot of those stories, they could have ended a whole lot differently. There's a lot of things in those stories that could, if they went different, my story, it ends up differently. And I think for a lot of you, this is so true. I think if you reflect back on your life, there's a lot of stories and instances in your life that they could have ended a whole lot differently. It's easier when we know how it ends. There are things that are funny now, but it's because you know how they end. It's easier when we know how it ends. So as I was kind of doing some studying not too long ago, I was looking at the story of David and Goliath, and this is the story I know every one of you have heard a thousand times. But here's the thing. Since we know how it ends, I'm going to suggest a few things to you. David, he didn't have the luxury of reading 1 Samuel 17.50. Right? It's different when you know how it ends. So David, when he's walking on that battlefield as a kid with a sling and a stone, you have to imagine his hands may have been trembling just a little bit. He doesn't know how it ends. We have that hindsight. We have that, that kind of luxury to know how it ends. But since we know how it ends, I want to look at a couple of different things and how it could have ended. Because I think the story could have ended a whole lot differently. See, if David would have made some different choices, this story ends differently. And I think God, He's writing each and every one of our stories right now. Now, so often, this story, Goliath, ends up getting used as kind of a metaphor for all the bad things in your life that are bigger than you that you end up, you're going to have to face. I don't want to do that. I'm here to tell you, the story of David and Goliath is not about you. David was fighting a real giant. A really big dude who was really powerful and bigger than everybody else, stronger than everybody else, and he seemed a little bit unbeatable. That's not going to be your story probably. But I don't think that's where we connect. But I'll, I'll tell you where I think we connect in the story. And I think it's in the fact that the story of David and Goliath isn't actually about David and Goliath at all. It's actually about who God is. And I think that's where we connect. Because it's the same God that's walking with you today. If that's what it's about. And I think that's what we need to be focused on. Because some of you, you're going to face down some real enemies. You're going to come up with some real problems in your life that you need to face down. And David had to do the same with a real giant. And he had to do it with uncertainty. He didn't know how the story ends. And even though we know Goliath went down, I want to look at three things that I think he had to go through before he even got there. I want to look at three things that I think he had to go through before he even had a chance to face Goliath. And if any of these things go differently, his story ends differently. If David would have had a different response to his father's request. Think about this for a moment. I want you to run these snacks down to your brothers. What happens if David rolls his eyes and kind of gives him the... Don't you know I'm the future king? Come on, Dad. I'm not, I'm not an errand boy. I'm not a delivery boy. What if David refuses to be faithful because he's focused on his own future? The story ends a whole lot differently. The story goes a whole lot different. You know, Jesse says, run this bread and cheese to your brothers, to the battle line, to the valley of Eli. What if David, he wakes up and he's kind of sluggish, begrudgingly kind of rolls over. And instead of jumping up and grabbing what he needs and going to the battlefield, what if he stops for a minute and grabs his iPhone? Right? Scrolls to his Instagram. What if he shoots out some tweets about how horrible his life is? How much he hates his dad for making him do these meaningless tasks all the time? Woe is me type 
mentality. What if he does this? I'm sick of my life. I hate my life. What's going on here? I'm more important than this. What if he shows up at the battle line, but he shows up 40 minutes late? What if he shows up after Goliath has made his charge? And David now, he doesn't even realize there is a giant on the battle line to be faced. See, I want to make this point, and I share this for this reason. You don't always know what moment God is going to choose to use you. This is so true. You don't know what conversation. Maybe the conversation that's going to turn something around in the life of somebody else. You don't know what moment God may want to move through your life to change the life of someone else. You don't always know when a burning bush may burst into flames with the presence of God telling you the new trajectory of your life. You don't always know this. But if you don't show up, and you don't do it with a good heart and a good attitude, if you trip over the ordinary in your life, a lot of stories could end up differently. If you don't do it with a good attitude. And for David, it could have ended up a whole lot differently. Think about this. Someone in your own life showed up and did the ordinary with a good heart. It's why you're sitting here. There was somebody who was willing to pour into you and invest in you daily, even if it seemed hopeless. You think they teach the story if David shows up and kind of throws his food at the brothers and goes back home? It could have happened that way. What if he shows up with a bad attitude? It could have ended with David feeling slighted because he's asked to do something that he deems insignificant. How often do we do that in our daily lives? You know who I am, right? I'm future King David. I'm anointed David. I'm not an errand boy. What if he takes that attitude? It could have been a whole lot differently if David does this. His story ends differently. If David had tripped over the ordinary. And I want to remind you that opportunity a lot of times in your life will present itself in the ordinary. God moves a lot of times in your life through the ordinary, mundane, everyday things we have to take care of. And if we're not prepared, if we're not ready, the breakthroughs in our lives usually come through the ordinary. But before David could get to the real battle, he had to face that ordinary. I think most of you know if you've been in ministry, it's usually not one conversation that changes someone's life. It's usually a conversation on top of a conversation. You have to invest. You have to pour your life into them. You have to really invest your time into people. It's a conversation on top of a conversation. It's going to be many trips and conversations back and forth, back and forth. This is exactly what David was doing. He's doing the ordinary back and forth from the battle line to, the, to being a shepherd to an errand boy. Shepherd to an errand boy. Back and forth, back and forth. He was doing the ordinary. And he didn't even probably know that that morning when he set out that there was even a giant there. He didn't understand maybe what God's purpose was actually going to lead him to. But if he refused to do the ordinary with a good heart and a good attitude, the story ends differently. So he gets there, and this is what the Bible says. It says he runs to the battle line. Look at what David's done. David with a good heart and a good attitude, now he's put himself in position to actually see the opportunity that God's placing before him. Because he's willing to do the ordinary with a good heart and a good mind, he runs to the battle line, now he's put himself in position to live in the purpose that God set forth for him. That's how we have to live. 
See, if David goes down there and he goes through his day, like a lot of us, looking like Eeyore, oh, it's another day, right? It's probably going to rain today. I don't, I don't do impressions. That's, about, that's all I got. But you know what I mean. It's how we do it. Just another day, same thing I do every day. Same thing over and over. How, how David would have missed the opportunity to live in God's purpose for his life if he does it like we so often do. How often are we missing what God wants us to do with our attitudes, with our hearts not being in the right trajectory? We need to seize the opportunity. And I think this is so true. We can't go through our daily life like that. We have to look at the ordinary in a different way. Do you wake up in the mornings and say, you know what, yeah, you're right, I've done this a thousand times, but today I'm going to wake up each and every day with expectation. Because in the ordinary, God's shown us throughout Scripture, throughout the world, beginning of the world, that He can do the extraordinary in the ordinary. Do you live with that expectancy in your life? Tomorrow when you get up, you may be doing the same thing tomorrow you did today, you did yesterday. Are you going to wake up with an expectation that God may want to move through you Tomorrow or today. But even when he gets to this battle line, even when he puts himself in position, he's in the right position, he's got the right attitude, his heart's right. One of his brothers had such a bad attitude. And this is the second thing I want to look at a little bit. Because I think before he even had a chance to deal with the real opponent, he had to deal with something we call offense. Boy, was that relevant today. He had to deal with this idea of offense. See, I think some of us, what we're doing is we're fighting the wrong battle. See, some of you, I think, are fighting the preliminary battle and you're missing the real one. See, see, David shows up and you guys, he's, he's young, right? He's excited. He shows up. And he's kind of like, what's up, guys? Right? What, what's going on? And everybody's standing there with their defeated face and nothing. This giant keeps coming out, but he's too big. He's too strong. We can't beat him. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do. See, the rest of Israel to Goliath, they're thinking he's too big to kill. But to David, David has a different perspective. He's saying, I think he's too big to miss. Right? I think this guy's too big to miss. Right? What's your perspective? Maybe, maybe we need to change our perspective on certain situations in our lives. Because David has a different one. See, Saul, the whole time, he keeps up in the ante. And he's then got to the cream of the crop now. Saul's sitting there going, listen, if someone will kill this giant, you can have my daughter, and I'll let you pay no taxes. Me and Marine, we're down with that. We're going to find a way to take this, this giant out. No taxes. So he's offering the good stuff now. And see, David, he hadn't been there for 40 days like everybody else. See, this had been going on for a while. And he wasn't used to the dysfunction and the defeat that everybody else was. And I think this is so true. See, to everyone else, Goliath sounded normal. But to David, Goliath sounded different. David had a different perspective. Now, I want to bring this up for a second. You know you can get comfortable in your dysfunction if you live in it too long? You realize that? When you, when you allow the dysfunction in your life to go unchecked and you live in it daily, it becomes what you just expect every day. You just, it just becomes normal. David wasn't used to this type of normal. To David, Goliath was different, right? To David, he's sitting there going, he said, what about God? And you're telling me that if I go drop him, I can get the princess 
And I don't have to pay taxes? Like to David, this was different. But I want you to look at this. Because I think anytime God's trying to do something in your life, the enemy's always going to present another enemy that's not the real enemy. I think it's so true. There's gonna, he's going to do this to keep you distracted from fighting the very battle that he may be calling you to fight. See, in David's case, it was his brother Eliab. Eliab was tall. Matter of fact, there was a time where Samuel, he looked at Eliab and said, I think this guy's going to be the next king. Why? Because Saul was tall. Right? They kind of shared this. They looked like warriors. He looked like a king. But God's going, wait a minute. No, Samuel. I don't want you to look at his height. I want you to look at his heart. Don't look at his height. I want you to look at his heart. How often do we do this? How often do we judge our external situation by what's going on outside? We judge our life externally. And what God, I think, is trying to tell you, it's not what's going on out there that's important. It's what's going on in here that's important. See, what I love about David is that David has this move that he does a lot of times. He, He does this over and over where he can make this shift. And I think, I think David, even before Jesus showed up on the scene, he understood maybe better than we do that I, I want to remind you that when we're looking at the external in our lives and it seems hopeless, there was something that Jesus said that I think you need to be reminded of daily. And Jesus said, listen, do you remember the Spirit that was hovering over the deep before everything was created? Do you remember the One who took a timeless, spaceless God and placed it in time and space in the womb of a, of a young virgin girl? Do you remember the God, the very Spirit, that kicked the stone out the way, broke the chains of death, and allowed Jesus to walk out of a tomb? This is the Spirit I'm going to allow to live in your life daily if you'll let Him. This is the power that you can live with. I think David understood this even before we did, even before Jesus is on the scene. And I think he understood this so 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 uh, clearly. And so... We've got to quit judging our situations externally. And it says this in 1 Samuel 17.28. Eliab's got something to say. He wants to start judging David. And this is what he says. He says, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep? Hey, what are you doing here? And, and if you're here, who's keeping the sheep? Now see, David, he was reliable for a kid. Look, He was taking care of his responsibilities. Matter of fact, David's there because he's being obedient. Right? He's there because he's being obedient. But I honestly believe in this moment that the, that the enemy is trying to trigger David. I think he's trying to distract him and get him to fight the wrong person. Think about this just for a second. See, if he stands there and he argues with his brother, once again, David misses the real opportunity. He misses the real enemy. He misses the real battle. I think sometimes in your life, you're actually fighting against those you're supposed to be fighting for. This is what could have happened to David. Think about that. How often in your life are you fighting against the very people who were trying to speak truth and love into your life because you don't like it, because it's keeping you from what you want? Right? So often we're fighting the battle against the people we should be fighting for. I think this is true even with people that aren't speaking into our lives. We look at the lost in the world. What we really should hate it's the very sin in their life that's causing them to be broken. That's causing them to bring pain into our lives. We need to have a different perspective. And now all of a sudden, I think David, he, he has a choice. He could stand there and he could argue with his brother. 
And I think sometimes we do the very thing. We fight against people we're fighting for. And I think sometimes we need to stop and say, we need to time out. Wait a minute. You're not my enemy. I need to pause for a second. You're not the enemy. You're not the one I'm supposed to be fighting. And see, David, he, gets, he can get caught up fighting Eliab, and he would never even see Goliath if he gets distracted. And I think some of us are simply defeated because we're distracted. We're defeated right out the gate because our focus isn't in the right place. We refuse to daily get up and be reminded that our, our, our very purpose in life is to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, not what I want, not my own dream, not a better job, not better, more status, not more money, but we should be seeking first the kingdom and the righteousness of God in our lives. See, but we know how the story ends. But think of how it could have ended. If David for the next two hours defends himself to Eliab, see, I think God, he's probably telling some of us the very same thing. He's sitting there going, listen, if you would invest a fraction of the time in your life that you spend defending yourself, if you would take a fraction of that time and start loving people, start pouring your life out for others, the world would look different. The world would be changed if you would just spend a fraction of the time you spend worrying about how, to, how offended you are at everything and start figuring out that, hey, you know what? God's called me to love even when they don't deserve it. The world would look different. Think about that. We can't get tripped all the time over every little offense in our lives so we never even meet the real opponent. We can't just stand there and argue with Eliab and we never even get to the real battle. I think this is so true. If you remember in your own life when there was a time before God redeemed you, that moment where God changes your heart. You know what God says is this. He says, I'm going to remember your sin no more. I love that word. It's a word that deals with cadavers. To remember something, right? To reattach something. Think about what God's saying. You know that person you were when you had a heart of stone before I gave you a heart of flesh? I'm not going to reattach that to you. I'm not going to reattach the lies you told. I'm not going to reattach your addictions. I'm not going to reattach all the times that you spit in my face. I'm not going to reattach that to you. You think that He may be asking you to do the same for people in your life? That He may be saying, listen, if you'll quit worrying so much about how much they're offending you, how much you think you need to defend yourself, and just start loving people, your family's going to look different. Your workplace can look different. Hey, your community, your neighborhoods could look different. Daystream, I'm here to tell you right now, if we as a church, we start getting poured out and really start loving people, quit worrying about how much everything offends us, how much we need to defend ourselves or defend Jesus. Jesus can defend Himself. We need to love people. And I'm telling you right now, Clinton, Mississippi will look different if you do that. If they spring serious about loving people, Clinton, Mississippi will look different. The greater Jackson metro area will look different. I think David had to, had to face this, this right there in front of him. Is he going to stand there and be offended? Or is he going to move on and face the real enemy? He could have stood there and argued with Eliab. He had never seen the real battle. It could have been a whole lot different. It's like some of us, we're fighting Eliab today. And because you're fighting Eliab, the enemy is going unchecked in your life. Because you're fighting Eliab, the wrong person, the very people you should be fighting for, the enemy is going unchecked in your life. You want to know how you know if you're fighting a lion? Are you still blaming people for everything that's going wrong in your life? 
Are you still blaming everything that's outside of your control and outside of your life for the reason your life is the way it is? David does an unbelievable move. And he's done it throughout his whole life. In the Psalms, he writes about it. And David can go from, kill him, God. Right? Everything's bad. I'm complaining. My life stinks. Kill him. And he'll stop and say, but search me. Wait a minute. Search, search my heart. Can you search my heart to see if I've been letting the enemy traffic in my mind and heart unchecked? You know, listen, I realize that everything's going on bad around me. Around me. My external circumstances seem bleak. But what if, what if I'm a part of the problem? What if there's something in me that's causing some of this? Can you search me? Can you check my heart to see if I'm the one? See, I think David realized nothing will truly change in your life until you do. Nothing's truly going to change in your daily life until you allow God to change your heart. And David realized this. And, and see, David, he did this move all the time. And I, I really think we should all learn this move. And when we realize that we're fighting something outside when we should be fighting something inside, when we realize that we're, we're trying to control other people instead of actually walking in the fruit of the Spirit, that one called self-control. I think David realized this. See, David, he did something so strategic. And it's so small, it's so subtle. I want you to notice it here in verse 30. See, they were going back and forth. And David kind of gives him a few jabs, right? David's going to let him know, I'm not no punk. He's going to say what he has to say to Eliab, right? But as soon as he does that, as soon as he lets Eliab know, I'm not no punk, watch what he does. Let's see what he says here. It says that after he said what he had to say, he then turns and asks someone else. Now, that seems small, right? But think about what he does. He's, in, he's engaged with some place that God doesn't want him to be. He's fighting a fight that God doesn't want him to fight. He's missing the real battle, missing the real enemy. And what's he do? He just turns and refocuses. God, he changes the trajectory. And now, once again, David's put himself in a position that now he can live in the purpose that God brought him there for. He can live in the purpose that God's laid out for him. And it took just a, a simple move of just removing himself just a little bit. Just removing himself. He's turned away and now he's facing Goliath. So you're never even going to get to the real battle in your life if you, if you don't address the insecurity, right? That's causing the issue. You keep blaming the people who are bringing it out for you to look at, but if you don't ever address the actual problem, it's going to continue to plague you. It's going to continue to plague you. Eliab wasn't the enemy. He wasn't David's enemy. He was David's brother. He's the one he's supposed to be fighting for. we got to quit fighting against the people we're supposed to be fighting for. We need to start addressing the sin and brokenness in people's lives. Not some personal grudge you may have against them. Not because you're offended because they've said something or did something long ago. I cannot stand the phrase, I will forgive, but I'll never forget. What are you saying? Do you even understand what Jesus is talking about when He's talking about forgiveness? Because you remember the question that was asked, right? Profound. Well, who, well who's my neighbor? And what does He do? He tells this crazy story about a Samaritan. The very people that Jews thought were less than human. And Jesus says, that's your neighbor. It, it may, they may not deserve it, but you're going to love everyone. You need to love people. You need to forgive them. Quit fighting 
against the people you should be fighting for. And so now, I think we've seen a couple of times that this story could have ended a whole lot different. If he argues with his brother, he misses Goliath. If he doesn't listen to his father, if he's not obedient, he misses Goliath. And I think every story here, our stories are still being written. And sometimes you may think you know how it ends, but I want to remind you, it's not over yet. I think some of us, we've wasted a lot of time, me included. But what if God can actually redeem all the years the locusts have eaten? What if what God has said is true? That what is ahead of you is greater than what's behind? We need to be reminded of how maybe the story ends. See, there's another thing I want to point out. And I want to show you. Because see, now that David's kind of moved through Eliab, he now has to go through Saul. Now, this is the one who should have been celebrating him. He should have been supporting him, right? And it, could, it all could have ended differently, right? It could have ended with a bad attitude. It could have ended uh, with David approaching the ordinary with a bad heart. It could have ended with David fighting against those he was supposed to be fighting for. It could have ended with ordinary, and it could have ended with offense. It also could have ended with only. How many of you know only in your life today that spirit of limitation and lack? I don't, I don't know what it is in your life, but how many of you know that? That word only. See, it's one of those things where Saul's sitting there and David's kind of giving him his resume, right? David's sitting there and he's telling him, look, uh, you know, I know I'm a boy, but I'm pretty good at beating things bigger than me. I'm pretty good at this. I'm pretty good at beating things that most people wouldn't think I could beat. There was a time I beat a lion. There was a time I beat a bear. And Saul says, you're only a boy. You're only a boy. I wonder what your only is in your life. Where's that only in your mind today keeping you from living in the purpose God's laid out for you? Keeping you from being bold for the Gospel today? Because you're living in that spirit of limit. You're living in that spirit of limitation and lack where if I only had, if I only was... David, you're only a boy. Saul wasn't the enemy. Saul was supposed to be his friend. And I think a lot of you, you know, sometimes our minds and our heart can turn against us and begin to tell us, you can't do this. You're only that. You're only this. If you only had this, you might could do that, but you don't. You can't do what God's asking you to do. Uh, I thought about a time in Ezekiel's life where God said, uh, don't say I'm only. Now, I always want to be careful of taking things out of context. And I don't think this is exactly what he meant, but it just got me to thinking about the word, that phrase, I am only. And you know, as well as I do, that when you become a child of God, you're grafted into His family. And God calls Himself, I am. And I think there's a problem there when we begin to diminish through our own eyes and our own mind of what we think we are, we begin to diminish the very spirit that God has given us to live with. Because God says, I am the great I am. And if that's true, then you tell me who can stand against you. You tell me what problem's bigger than the God you serve. But we forget about that so quickly we begin to diminish it. I think in one way, we're actually taking a shot at God's name. We call ourselves Christian. We bear the name of Christ. We can't live in the I am only. Saul said, you're only a boy. But David said, no, wait a minute. Listen, I haven't faced this giant. right? I know I haven't faced this giant. But I can tell you this. The same God I brought to the valley where I 
pop the lion? The same God I brought to the valley where I took down the bear? It's the same God I brought to this valley. It's the same God that I brought to the valley to face this giant. I think David looked at it different. And I think sometimes some of us were standing in front of something we've never seen before. And David said, I dropped the lion, I dropped the bear, and it only stands to reason. If the lion couldn't stand against God's purpose for my life, if the bear couldn't stop God's purpose for my life, then I'm going to go ahead and in this moment, I'm going to take and predict an upset victory over the giant you think can't be killed. I think David saw it differently. He didn't live in that spirit of lack and limitation. If the giant opposed God's purpose for his life, David was predicting that he could take down the giant. I think this is so true. This is so true for your own life. So many things in your life you're going to think are bigger than what you can handle. And you know what? You're probably right. Don't ever forget the God you serve. Don't forget the God that you're bringing to that battlefield. It's the same God that David brought to his. Same God that David brought to his. And see, God, He's the author and perfecter of our faith. We know how the story ends. And it doesn't end until God wins. Matter of fact, the battle's already been won. The victory's been won. Jesus has paid the price. Death and sin are defeated. You know how the story ends, and it's easier when you know how the story ends. But this story could have been a whole lot different. You know, we often talk about new beginnings. I think some of us may need to start looking at a new ending to our story. See, we need to remember how the story ends, even if our path looks hopeless, even if you can't see how it's going to get to that ending, even if it may be in a straight line for you. Maybe your life's not perfect. Your path isn't perfect. Maybe it's not like someone else's. Maybe it's a little messier. You need to be reminded how the story ends. We must be willing to do the ordinary. Prepared and expecting the extraordinary. You can't be distracted by the small offenses that can trip you up, that want to take your focus off the real enemy. And you cannot get caught up in only. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I don't have enough money. I don't have the right status. I don't have the right job. We can't get caught up in the spirit of only. This story could have looked a whole lot differently, but we need to be reminded always that God's grace is sufficient. That Goliath will go down. But I want to close with this. See, that's, that's not where the story ends. See, I reminded you in the beginning that see, David, he didn't have the luxury of, of reading 1 Samuel 17, 15. I think for a lot of us, when we tell the story, even when we read it, we stop at 50 and we forget there's a 51. We forget there's a verse 51. See, after David threw the rock and he dropped him, now I want you to look at your neighbor and for everyone who's young enough to remember this, in the spirit of mortal combat, I want you to say, finish him. <laughs> yep, finish him. See, the Bible says, that after he knocked him down, and I, just a side note, I think some of us are far too content with just stunning the enemy. I think some of us are far too content with just kind of keeping it at bay. I don't think we can do that in our lives. I think we, we like to come here, we get a, a good word over our lives, we, you know, we get a little encouragement, then we go back home right back to the same stuff, the same cycle, the same pretending. That isn't what David does. So what did he do? See, I think, Goliath actually had something David needed that David didn't realize he needed at the time. And this is what it says in verse 50. It says that he came to the battlefield with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. Spoiler alert. 
He left the battlefield with a sword in his hand. If you haven't read the story, you should. He left the battlefield with a sword, a sword in his hand. Who was carrying it? The enemy. The very enemy who came to kill him. See, you want to see victory in your life, you're going to have to defeat what's in front of you. There may be all the chaos going on around you. God's not asking you to take it all in at once. He's asking you to face what's in front of you. And with His help, there's no way you can be defeated. You don't have to do it alone. And listen to what it says in verse 51. It says, He stood over the giant. He took out the sword from the scabbard. Anyone who's used the word scabbard in this last year, see me after the service. He took out the sword from the scabbard. And after he killed him, he cut off his head. David took a trophy. I wonder why he takes a trophy. Maybe it's because it's not the last battle he's going to face. Maybe it's a reminder of what God does when he trusts in God. Because this ain't the last, and if you want to use it as a metaphor, the last giant that he's going to face, the last enemy he's going to come across. If you know the story, and I'm sure you do, after this, he goes and he gives that sword to Abimelech. And Abimelech puts that sword in the temple. Now, if you remember, shortly after this, Saul begins to get a little jealous, right? He gets a little jealous of David. You remember the chant? David's killed, I mean, Saul's killed thousands, but David's killed his tens of thousands. Saul don't like this. He realizes his kingdom is done. His time is over. There's a new king coming into power. So what's he start doing? He tries to kill David. David now is on the run again. And where does he end up? He ends up at a temple with Abimelech. And one of the things he says is, hey, look, I had to run out in such a hurry. I didn't bring my spear or my sword. You got a weapon? And Abimelech's like, no. Uh, well, you know, there is this sword you brought a long time ago. That sword of Goliath. Now think about that for a moment. The very sword that came to kill David now becomes the very weapon he's going to wield against a new enemy. He didn't have a weapon when he started, and now he does. And what's it say? David says, there's no other sword like it in all the land. Isn't that so true about your life? About your struggles? About the problems you face in your life? You may go into it without a weapon, but when God shows you victory, you come out wielding one of the greatest weapons of all. And it's not just a weapon that you can keep. Because how often have we sat across from somebody going, man, I'm struggling with this. I don't know what to do. And you go, been there. Here. This is what God did for me. The very weapon that came to kill him became the weapon he wielded against a new enemy. But I think first, you've got to learn to approach the ordinary with a good heart. You need to live in the ordinary with expectation. You need to live in the ordinary with hope. Expecting God to do something extraordinary today, tomorrow, and then on. The world needs to see it. And you need to quit tripping over every little offense. Quit being defensive and start loving people. Quit being so offended and start loving people. God's going to sort all that out. You're not the judge. Just love people. Give your heart to people. And don't live in a spirit of lack and limitation. The same God that David brought to that battlefield is the same one standing with you today, saying tomorrow when I ask you to do the very thing you think you can't do, I can promise you I can make it happen in your life if you just trust me. Don't live in a spirit of lack. Live in the power of God. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God, I thank You so much for being the same God that You were with David, that You are today, the same faithful God, the same loving God, forgiving God, and You're the same God with the power to overcome anything in our lives that we face. Lord, allow us to live with boldness. 
Allow us to approach each day like it's new and fresh. To approach the tasks that we so often have to do over and over again with, with fresh eyes. Lord, to do them with expectation, to do them with hope. We don't know what moment that You may call us to step out and love someone, to bring someone else into this relationship with You. Allow us to live with that obedience and that good heart and attitude towards all the things we do in our lives. Lord, allow us to to not get tripped up over so many things today that can seem to offend us. That can put us on the defensive. Let us just trust in You and trust in what You've told us to do. And that's to love people even when they don't deserve it. It's the same thing You've done for us. You've loved me and You died for me even when I was still a sinner. Let us love people. And Lord, stop allowing us to diminish the Spirit that You've placed inside of us. Stop allowing us to live in a limited state where we think if we only had this, if we only had that, if we only were this, that You're enough. You're all we'll ever need to do what we've been called to do. Allow us to live in that truth today as we leave. Lord, we love You and we thank You. I ask all this in Your name. Amen.